Welcome to the second episode of the Coles Cost. I'm your host, Mark, and I'm here with Tyrell and Neve. Neve is an investment uh, banking student from the United States, and Tyrell is, an, is a final year economics student doing his bachelor all at Bowman University. Today's uh, topic is going to go, be about China and the future of their economy. Uh, we're going to cover two main areas today, the current trade war and where it's going, and is there a recession looming for China. We're going to start off with the trade war. So currently, the background of the trade war, for people who don't know, is basically the United States is China's biggest uh, market every year, doing over 500 million in uh, exports to the United States, while China only imports $130 billion from the US. And one of the reasons the Trump administration has taken these steps towards tariffs are the cyber theft that China has been uh, undertaking with uh, the United States, so stealing data, which has been a hot topic uh, the last couple of years, as well as the, as well as the new plan made in China 2025, which is a plan where China will become the top technology company in the technolo- technology country in the world, which uh, will, in a way, become a major threat for the United States. And lastly, due to the foreign companies entering China needing to make joint ventures and take intellectual property from them. Um, all of this is being made worse by China's policy, as I said, which is taking away key technologies from the United States and it's a visible threat to the US, and adds that they overcapacity in other industries like cement, steel, and aluminium, where they've been able to cause prices to depress and cost pressures on other countries. The pressure on the United States to take action has been mounting, and uh, Trump has finally taken these major steps. Uh, the timeline for this, in March 22nd, Trump announced a 25% tariff on the China for $50 billion worth of goods. This was uh, targeted at the exact technologies that China is trying to take away from the United States or beat the United States in. And this went to, into effect on July the 6th and completely on August 23rd. In response to that, China also put on a 25% tax uh, tariff on $50 billion worth of products coming from the US. And this has uh, continued to create some trouble in the stock market and the economies. And there's been a lot going on. Current, uh, currently, since December the 1st, there has been a truce fire and everything has been on a positive turn. But with debates and uh, talks co- about to continue, we're going to hear from Neve on what he thinks the future of the trade to- trade wars will be. So yeah, both these countries are playing like the chicken game with each other. Like, they both want to make like some sort of agreement, but at the same time, their pride is uh, taken over, and they don't really want an agreement. Like a, a tr- Trump responds with like a tariff, and then China responds with a tariff, and then. Trump responds with another tariff, and then China comes back at them. Like, there was this one incident where uh, Trump started implementing, like, a 30% tariff on solar panels. Mm-hmm. And then China's response was a 25% uh, percent tariff on soybeans. Mm. Like, on soybeans. Like, come on. Exactly. Like, I just think, at this point, it'll continue going on, and they're not going to really get to an agreement. But at the same time... It's, I don't think it's going to be a war. It's just going to continue. Like They're going to go at each other. And I think the, the developing countries at that point will come in. And they'll see a rise in business in their countries. So like countries like Vietnam, Laos, Malaysia, those like small Asian countries. Uh, they're going to start getting a lot of business. And they're going to turn in from a developing into an emerging economy. Who, who do you think needs to win this trade war the most? Or this trade debate, rather? Who do you think is more important to? Trump's coming up for election very soon, while Xi is under a lot of pressure from under a lot of pressure from the recent uh, 
problems in the auto industry as well as the in infant vaccine scare, which has been putting a lot of pressure on him from all different areas. Can he take another loss? I mean, they don't have much to play with considering they've already used 50 of the 130 billion dollars that they get from America, 180 that they use from America. They don't have a lot of leeway to play with, while America still has over two, over 450 to play with to put pressure on China. So yeah, there's actually a study done, and uh, they did this simulation. It was at the, it was at this university in China, and they pretty much uh, predicted the outcomes of if there was like a trade war, and. Um, so in regards to the U.S., they said the U.S. will gain on welfare, GDP, and non-manufacturing production, but it'll end up hurting employment and trade, both export and, and import. Exactly. And, uh, but because the U.S. is such a big economy and it's such a huge influence like around the world, um, they'll, still they'll still be able to maintain their large, their large economy. And, uh, but at the end of the day, like in China, China will be significantly hurt by tariffs and um, including welfare and their GDP, manufacturing, employment, and trade. It'll affect their whole population. Mm -hmm. And I think at, at the end of the day, that's what's going to cause the Chinese recession, mm -hmm. if, there's not a, if there's not an agreement in place. Mm -hmm. And if you, like, if you like look at the U.S.'s um, like track, especially like during the Trump administration, like there were issues with the trade agreements with... Uh, like the U.S. Mexican Canadian agreement beforehand, like Trump wanted to modify that, and the and the U.S. Korea agreement that was made in 1976, and exactly. so I think Trump's whole approach is that he just wants to modify all those trade agreements, mm. just to improve uh, uh, U.S. domestic product and U.S. businesses. So he's all he's all in. Like he he wants to get an agreement done. Um, so yeah, I think it's gonna have to come from the Chinese. Uh, from Xi to come to come forth and if he really wants to if he's really for the Chinese people and he's not worried about his pride then he's gonna have to come forward but at the same time both the both these countries they they both need each other and the whole world the whole world needs them so there needs to be an agreement done but because they're proud I don't think there will be one I agree actually um, I read that uh, China's exports fell about 21% recently. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, exports being one of the main factors on gaining like, GDP for a country. Uh, China are known to be struggling anyway. If the exports continue to fall because of increasing tariffs, like the trade deficit is just going to get even bigger. It's not going to benefit China. I think they're much more in need of trying to boost their economy back up more than, than what Trump and America needs to currently. Like, there's another thing where, like, it's not even, like, a, it's also, it is a pride thing why they're not coming to an agreement, but I think it all, like, Trump is kind of accusing China of devaluing their currency, yeah. but you can't actually say that, because you can't, there's no, like, actual proof, mm. but at the same time, China's exports keep on growing. Like, yeah, this trade, this trade war it has, ha has been happening, but... There was like a study done, and the exports haven't been affected. They increased by eight percent. Yeah, exactly. The export, the Chinese exports, actually increased. It's the U.S. <laughs> exactly, and what what they were saying was that the tariffs, it because Chinese ex, like the Chinese goods are so cheap hmm. that all these tariffs they don't even matter. Like the exactly. it's still cheaper than getting it from let's say from the U.K. or Germany or any other country in the world. Hmm. 
So Trump is kind of like shooting himself in the foot in that kind of, in that sort of sense. But I wouldn't really agree with that because I mean the problem is like if China does devalue the company, the, the currency, they still have one point eight billion trillion dollars in exports from other countries, and that will be, if they have to de- uh, decrease the value of their currency, that's going to make their people weaker, and it's going to also lead to further inflation rates. And they're already struggling with this middle gap crisis that's going, where they're trying to get the middle the middle uh, class to have like better income. And exactly, that's why. they can't why do it, so it's, they, they're in a harder position than the U.S. Like the but US. that's why they're in that position, because they keep on doing that, and they don't know how to stop it. They want to increase their exports. They keep on wanting to increase their exports, and that's why they're in that position, because they're, quote-unquote, devaluating their currency. But at the same time, because their exports are increasing, they are getting more cash inflow. Mm, and there, I think there's also a thing where, like, it's like a known fact where, like, China... The Ch- Chinese people suffer from xenophobia, and for those who don't know, like xenophobia is, they they don't they don't really contact the outside world. There's no they don't they don't have fi- like Facebook is restricted. There are a lot of like social media networks that are restricted out there, so people don't really leave China. No. Like so, if they're staying in in China, then like inflation does matter, but it really matters in my opinion when you're trying to. When you're comparing it to other parts in the world, when you're trying to exchange currency and all that, but they're not, the people, the people of China, like the average person, they're not contacting the outside world. Yeah, I agree. Like, you, in in different countries, when a crisis happens or such and such, you speak to people, or you've heard of people fleeing the country to go find a better economy so they can excel and things. China is so big, and it's been a developing country that they. And they are so like within their own country that they wouldn't want to. I think they that's why they want to push for a better economy because they don't want to flee and move out anywhere else, unlike other countries. So I think it's definitely important for them to try and get something that's going to boost their economy. Otherwise, it's going to be a huge uproar between like the people, China, and the government. That's that's the scariest thing. There's a re- if there's a revolution coming, I mean, they don't have the choice to vote. So you got to yeah. be careful of that. So they people have to believe that, like, Xi is under a lot of pressure because whatever he does, they got to assume is the best thing for the country. He can't act like the over-leverage in the company, in yeah. the country, is something was a mistake. they got to be really careful with that. And, I mean, that leads on to the recession problem, which we'll get to shortly. But China, like, there's no outcome that really works for them because if they lower the value, then it's going to lead to more cost for them to buy stuff for their... Because, I mean, they do import $1.8 billion dollars with $1.8 trillion worth of stuff, if they stop buying U.S. treasuries, then it's going to help the U.S. way more because they're going to have better interest rates in the U.S., so people will want to put money into bonds there. So the U.S. will gain tremendously from that. And if they retaliate to U.S. firms, first of all, they're shooting themselves in the foot because the country needs them needs them because those multinationals are what rake in a lot of the money in China, as well as that it's going to send a bad message to other countries. Like, think of Japan, think of Germany who are there. Will they want to go there if they know this could happen to their companies? I mean, China really, their best thing is where they do, they do about $500 billion in, in, in industries where the, in, for their imports, where they import the most, 30 of those industries out of the 80 are where the U.S. is one of the top five. If they even just change 10% there, that would bring $500 billion or, no, that would bring $30 billion, $40 billion to the U.S. in the next year, and which would really help out the U.S. in their relationships. I mean, they need the U.S. more than the U.S. needs them at the moment. I mean, 
everything like you see when the U.S. is doing when things come in from the U.S. for them, that has major impacts on them. Like they need, they need the U.S. I mean, and they already started doing that with the well-timed. Like the best way to do this is well-timed agricultural orders. Like you said, the soybeans. They're starting to import rice, like and energy. Like U.S. is the biggest energy. They just get money from them. It's way easier for them. I mean, and reducing the tariffs would be the best idea in my opinion. Because if they know tariff, if they just had a blank slate, started from zero. Both of them would gain the most. Yeah. Because the US would send more there while China would get more. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a win win. And if China could just open their doors a little bit more, open their markets so that instead of like you being on the negative list where they, where you have to start a joint venture, then, com- then more companies will go there because everyone's afraid that they're giving up their intellectual property at the moment. Yeah, and that's, a big, that's a big factor that Trump has been, uh, been fighting. That's very fair though. Like, why, why, why do you have to give up your intellectual property there? Or it's why Chinese can't you have rule. control? It's a, it's, a, it's a government law. Exactly. All these companies that are coming in, and then, like, I can understand why they would come in because it would just be cheaper to, op- to operate over there. Mm. But at the same time, like, giving up all that property and, like, pretty, like you're pretty, yeah, you're giving up everything mm. just to save a couple of dollars. Well, a couple of million do- millions of dollars, but. Like it's just a, it is a rough situation, and like there, there are pros and cons on both sides. But like, if I'm a businessman, and yeah, it'll be cheaper for me to operate in China, but I have to give up everything that I've worked for, for like so hard for so long, and just to have someone copy it in China, like mm-hmm. some phony. Exactly. Like I wouldn't go in there. That's I don't, like, but that's I guess just uh, an individual's character. When it comes to tests, like, and I can understand why Trump is trying to fight that, but like the best, the only like the best example of where it works is now the auto industry because now you can control your company one hundred percent, and they're starting to bring it to life to auto to life insurance and banking, and that's bringing the major banks there. Now the major banks going there because they know they're not, well, they don't have to give up this control. Like it's a scary thing. Like you have worked your whole life on that company, and now half it's going to be taken. Yeah, and you could in the next year someone else would have your idea. And it's theirs. What if something happens in China? Because it's still state controlled. Like the um, the risks there are tremendous. Remember, Coca Cola lost their market for I think thirty years. Mm-hmm. Or was GM mm-hmm. when they went there? They lost their market for thirty years. They weren't allowed to be back there. Coca Cola is the only one who's really done it right, because they were allowed to because they were slow and relaxed. It took them thirty years to finally build market share, mm-hmm. but now they can't lose it. But that was thirty years of loss. Like imagine, imagine also China had gotten the Coca Cola recipe. Like that's still secret, eh? Like, yeah. No, like imagine what. Well, now Starbucks is going into the Asian markets. They just got into China, and their their stock price has been skyrocketing ever since going in. Their uh, the ink, the revenue that they've been making is crazy, and like every website, Bloomberg, uh, the FT, they've all been saying it's the top ten stocks to to watch for twenty nineteen, just because going into the Asian market and going into China, but at the same time now they're gonna have to give up all the all the se- all the secrets. And what happens when it runs out of being a new thing? Exactly. I mean, like China's a dangerous place. I mean, yeah. let's just let's just think. What happens if China has a has a recession? Like let's let's move on to the recession because I think this is where the scariest thing is. Like China can't afford is going to have a recession. There's no way. There's no two ways about it. The economy cannot after. This has been historical forty years of growth. You, a com- country has not seen that ever, that kind of meteoric growth, and it has to slow down. Yeah, and I it- don't think it's going to end up in a recession. It's just a slowdown. Like every, so what, when you transition from becoming a developing country, which China was like 30 years ago, 
into an emerging economy, which they've been ever since that point until today, there always has to be a slowdown at some point. Like, every country that's been through that cycle, the U.S., U- well, the U.K. was probably the first, and the U.S., and all these other countries that are considered developed countries now, they've all been at that point, and there's always a slowdown. The U.S. reached it with the Great Depression in the 30s, and... And uh, so countries, I mean, China's going to get there. Everyone has to get there at some point. I think now because it's today and, like, times have changed and people are smarter and they look back at history, China's not going to be like the U.S. during the Great Depression. But, yeah, there will be a slowdown. Like, you can't, your GDP can't increase by by 7% rate every year. Like, China's been going through every single year pretty much. I mean, listen to this. Why I think the economy is, why I think they're going to go through a much, through maybe not the worst recession ever seen, but a major recession which will have ripple effects throughout the whole world. They have bloated state-owned companies that can't survive without the state. They have swelling of private and public debt. Like, just think, they have over three hundred billion worth of uh, property debt uh, and maturities on bonds they took out. That's going to mature like in the next five years. It's like two thousand eight. Yeah, three hundred billion just in five years on property debt. And then there's massive overcapacity in the more property and, and industrial uh, markets. They're they 50 million homes that aren't, hasn't got anyone in them. They're dead for all these projects that Bridge they just built to, uh, to Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. They're building all they're building that network through the whole world. Like they're having to pay for all these things. They're building that are not, sorry, not army, that's the wrong word. They're building those fleets of people, that fleet of islands in the south coast, in the Southeast Asia waters, which so they can control the trade, the trade, the trade walks there. I mean, this money, like the money, isn't growing on trees anymore. This, the capacity is just, and that's just the start. Think they have an average age of sixty in these rural areas. Yeah. Average age of sixty. It's the one child policy. That one child policy had to be abolished, and thank God it finally has been. Yeah. But an average age of sixty, and you think of that people. You haven't got the people to replace them. Like we think our baby boom is bad. Think what's gonna happen when China goes through this, when they have quadrupled the amount of people that need to be looked after. It's they don't even like what they are seeing is a problem of historic proportions they don't even have their, their problem of innovation that's why it's been the main t- challenge in this made in china 2020 the one child policy screwed them over with innovation exactly because you don't have everyone's over, like over the age of 60 they can't mm-hmm. they can't deal with technology exactly like they there is no innovation and yeah. that's the biggest thing if they want to if they want to transition from a from a from a manufacturing or industrial con- uh, country to a knowledge based economy they are in the wrong area. Like one in only four of the people in the rural areas, and that's sixty percent of China's China's people get in a past high school. What sixty percent of China's kids do not get to high do not finish high school in these rural areas. They also that 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 income difference is exponential. If you look at Shenzhen, which is the mecca of China yeah. now, that industrial mecca, the technology mecca, like companies are moving out of it now. They're building areas next to next to all the countries on the outside so they can get cheaper resources. Like, this this is about to blow up in their faces in the next five, ten years. Yeah, definitely in ten years. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Not not in the next, like, two, three years. But it's just like a... It's a, it's a growing bubble. It's like... It reminds me of the 2008, the financial crisis. Because mm-hmm. it's exactly, like, the, the subprime mortgages mm-hmm. and there's so much real estate. And I was reading this article the other day that there are, like, these empty houses in, in, in all of China where just... People aren't living there anymore. It's just like a ghost town. And, uh, but yeah, it sounds exactly like that situation. But, and the thing is, it, go, it also goes back to the trade war. And I feel like if there is no 
agreement done soon, then it's just going to speed up the process. I mean, yeah, it'll happen probably in the next five years, but it's just growing, growing, growing. And, and it's also like a known thing, like over in China where they fudge statistics and like everything there, it's all sketchy because also yeah. like don't. people don't vote exactly state owned. So maybe right now they're in the, sh- they're like, excuse my language, they might be in the shit right now, <laughs> but because they're fudging everything, which that's what was happening in the U S and then the bubble is just going to keep on growing, growing, growing. It's going to blow up at some point and just make it worse. That is an interesting point because um, when the, the 2008 market crash did happen, they were completely fine throughout. Well, completely fine, but like they didn't suffer anywhere near as Exactly, because all those, all those, like, all, this, all the stuff that was happening in the U.S., it got moved to China. All that money got moved to China, and that's where that boom started happening to their economy. Then they had another um, asset bubble pop in 2015, 2016. And it hit them. They went from about 10% growth a year to about 6%. But, like, they were still, like, 6% growth a year is still... It's still a crazy rate. Yeah. But, like, I still agree. They have to go in recession. You can't move that quick and yeah. not crash. It's just... It's it's too... Not too high, but, like, you know, you said about, like, the lack... They are a dynamic country. Yeah. They are smart people over there. Mm. But the lack of innovation, the lack of, like, rural labor for, like, all this harvesting and things... The fact that, you know, they're not going to be able to deal with technology at a faster rate like we are or whatever other countries are, it's going to hit them sooner rather. Well, not sooner, but it definitely will hit them. It has to. Yeah, it's just the cycle of, of like, an economy. Like, mm-hmm. it happens with, like, countries that they start from a developing country to, to they go to uh, emerging economies, then develop. Like, that's where the U.S., U.K., uh... China's about to hit that plateau, and and then the, the and then yeah Japan exactly Germany and then once once like the slowdown starts to happen in China then there's gonna be opportunities for other countries to come in and other countries are hoping that it happens because then they'll have a ton of business like all those like southeastern uh, yeah southeastern countries that we mentioned in Asia and and you know what it might even give an opportunity for Africa yeah. Because Africa right now, everything's developing. Nobody, right. for some reason, no. well, we know the reasons why nobody touches Africa, right. but there is a lot of opportunity out there. There can be. It's still, it's still, it's the largest continent exactly. in the world, and it's the most under, well, maybe most explored, but least, how would you say, there's, t- there's so much more that can be done. Yeah. But the problem with China is that anytime, like, they need to loosen, so the IMF, everyone says it, as soon as they just need to loosen forces, but anytime anything happens, like, I think Xi, Xi said a couple of years ago that they're going to be start embracing economic forces. As soon as anything started happening, bam, they immediately take measures, stimulus, put money into them. Like, all of these bankers and so forth, they aren't afraid of taking these risky investments because mm-hmm. they know, the bank, they know like, China's got them. And, like, if that, that's how they never, that's why they put money into the, all these crazy projects that there was no, there was no viable option of them succeeding in the short term. These things aren't going to be... None of these things are going to be... They might be outdated in 10 years when they find this are getting used. I mean, no economy that is non-democratic has ever survived this stage of their development. Like, this is what people call... Economists call the mid, middle income uh, trap. And it's where the per capita of income stores before a nation becomes rich. Mm-hmm. So, usually this happens because of the rising wages uh, and costs erode profitability of factories that make basic things. So, because they're going... Now they're trying to go knowledge-based like all these manufacturing things, it's going to be like Detroit. You're going to see Detroit go from the mecca of the world, the mecca of the U.S. industry, yeah, to nothing. Yeah. Detroit is 
Just think, in the World War Two, they were the in, Ford and Chevrolet yeah. were the biggest corporations in the whole world. In the war, Detroit made more uh, more vehicles and more things for the world. Yeah, all the motor companies. Every country still in the world compared. Everything was in Detroit. Nothing like you couldn't like this is gonna happen to China on a yeah. mass scale. Detroit is crap right now. Like just think, and Detroit bankrupt. hasn't recovered. Detroit is bankrupt. It hasn't yeah. recovered for what fifty years. Yeah. 50 years the Detroit like, Pistons had to move out of the out of the arena. Yeah. They it's, weren't making bank because no one was showing up to their games. There's no, there's no money. Still on the people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they, and you see they because they, now they're trying to go to the knowledge base. They're trying to get innovative people. What's going to happen cause with all these industries that these manufacturing industries? They're not going to be able to transition perfectly because it's going to be such a sudden jump because all of these things are changing and suddenly you're going to have like a dramatic and traumatic downfall. I mean, there's only five countries in East Southeast Asia that have ever succeeded in going through this. And that's Japan, Hong Kong, which maybe not a country, Singapore, South Korea, and Taiwan. That one surprised me. Taiwan, I don't think would go through that. And then to Taiwan, see- Taiwan makes sense. It does make sense. But there are a lot of exports coming out from Taiwan. Like they're, they might be second in all of Asia right like now. Like made in Taiwan. Like yeah. how often do you see that? I see that in every Nike product. Mm, like. <laughs> The thing is, how do, how does China deal with the leverage problem? Do you have any idea how they can challenge the leverage problem? Well, that's the thing. I, I write up on it. Is that like the way that China deals with like economic crises and problems is actually more, I want to say, unified than the most. Yeah, like um, the government will make policies and and things like like I said, they're smart people. To like, they will make policies so that. It, it stimulates the economy. I always feel like if, if it does go into a recession, it's like how well will they deal with it? You know, we went into the whole double dip recession. I don't think we dealt with it as, as well as we could have. I think China can deal with the recession. It's one thing to be in it, it's how long you keep staying in it. And I think they, they might be able to get out of it pretty quick because of the way that they, they function their government. They have policies that are like constructive, disciplined, but not too unrealistic where people actually have faith in the system and things, so they want to put money in. That's how you get out nah, of recession. I disagree. You disagree? Yeah, I think if, if they do end up going to a recession and it's as bad as like what the U.S. went through in 2008, then I think it will be a revolution. Like right now, they, they say it's not a, a communist state. They even have it on like their, their official mm-hmm. country's name, like People's Democratic, government. whatever, of China. Like I think it's going to blow up Like if it's a legit like, bad, bad situation and people are on the streets. Like, there's going to be a revolution and, like, like, like with the same with the Soviet Union, like, even though they're still, they say they're not a, a communist country, but they're still, they're a lot open to, like, trade and all that than China mm-hmm. is, I think. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to they're gonna transition into that if there is a recession where people are out on the streets, like, no money. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go to that. Don't fall down to that. Yeah, that's why when we get back to inflation rates, if these things are coming yeah. up, like people lose jobs, just think. And remember, the rural area is where the most problems are happening. Like these, like like people. Have you seen Hong Kong? Like what people live in? People on a good salary live in those little boxes. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. And those things cost more than uh, what we pay for a uni house, or what most people pay like in their mid thirties when they have a stable job. Like they live in a box with a little TV, a little fan, and one window. Not even a window usually. Like just think. So. When Deng, the original person who put in this 40-year plan, they, he wanted the private companies to conquer the manufacturing industry. And right now, with the private industry, thanks to him and thanks to his plan, accounts for 60% of the nation's output, 70% of tech innovation, and 90% of new jobs. But all of these private companies 
have been given so many subsidies, so many, so much, so much stimulus to look after them, to help them grow, that they become bloated. None of these companies, well, not many of them, like Alibaba, will survive, and uh, and uh, Tencent. Oh, sorry. I think Tencent. I think those companies that have like a global reach. Like, yeah, exactly. Like global reach, they'll survive because China's not their only outlet. They have outlets in the U.S. That Europe, was why I everywhere. was. That's why I was saying it. It's like the way that China functions is that like it will give out subsidies or subsidies and loans and things but it's not as reckless like how the, the financial crash was when they're just giving loans to just everyone and anyone yeah you know like they're giving it to businesses who they think can prosper they see that a business is not prospering they will take that back so they can reduce the debt as much as they can they're trying to make it very efficient with their subsidies but the thing is what well, you think they would give out the you think the chinese government would give out money to to the chinese businesses and not to the that's what they have been doing. They they've given money and then like stripped, like, financial loans away from ones that are underperforming or not performing at all. So like everything that they do is in aims. Obviously, it's in aims to perform. Mm-hmm. But like the way they've done it is very efficient. So they know, like they can see, and they 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 structure it in a way where the businesses are thriving more often than not. You so, think efficient and not reckless? Yeah. You think efficient, not reckless? I think. I think reckless. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. Like these companies, they, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. they crazy. They put money into these companies. Like bankers have even That's said, why like, the inflation the is going up crazy because they keep on, they keep yeah, on like, pumping money into these businesses, into the economy, and there's just too much money, and it's they are risk averse. They were afraid. Like, think SeaWorld was owned by a Chinese man who went default two years ago. He put, I think it was like a hundred billion debt on SeaWorld, and you see half like most of these places, like some guy who had. Some uh, group had a three thousand acres hectares of land in from in France, and he defaulted on it in two thousand eighteen, and he got all that money from the Chinese government, and they not risk averse. They not afraid, like yeah. they know the government will look after them. Well, for the moment, and of course it's starting to change. But the people who are feeling the brunt of that are these small companies. Like, have you guys ever have you guys ever heard of shadow banking? Okay. It's like these are like these are banks that aren't really regulated. They buy private companies yeah. that put money into these, and they like China's really sort of cracking down on those. Because remember, 30% of the Chinese economy is fueled by government loans. 30%. 30. Uh, yeah. Like, and just think, one third of those are shadow, shadow banking, which are these investments from private funds that people don't yeah. know exactly, and they're not regulated. And just think, since they started like cutting down on this, hundreds of small companies have uh, started struggling because of the environmental uh, problems that are coming in. Like, companies have to follow more for environmental regulations to succeed. And then you also got problems in, let me go further, what's it called? The fact that these policymakers are investing in non-state companies to help support them. So they're investing in these non-state companies to help support them. And they know that money's going to come. Like, so they don't need the shadow banking anymore. And the shadow banking was what was funding them so they could do these crazy things and go on. And then policy, the policy response hasn't been robust or effective. Like, this has begun to further weaken businesses and investor confidence. People don't want to invest in China because they're afraid of it now. Like, you see that. Like, they bounced up. It's so volatile. Last, they dropped 4% yesterday. Yeah. Like, the Shanghai... One drop four percent in a day, like imagine last year they wiped off five trillion dollars worth of value. Five trillion and it's rebounded, but just think five trillion dollars, like a a country with such a volatile stock market. Would you want to invest your money? You can make no. short term gains, but imagine no. like people major players there. Reminds me of it reminds me of cryptocurrency. Exactly, <laughs> like if they don't remove the yellow tape, it'll continue to stifle entrepreneurs. Then you want to innovation. Then you want a new company. Yeah. And they, now that they're cutting down on giving out loans, these people who need the money to innovate aren't going to get them because the policymakers don't see where the best place because they're not effective in it. So they yeah. don't trust people 
and it's a vicious cycle where the country will never succeed. They this like this technology jump to become a knowledge-based economy is the hardest thing to do. Like you have to understand if. Remember, as we said, a knowledge-based economy, yeah. but there's no innovation happening. Yeah. Only at the same eight time. million people graduate a year in China from high school. Eight million only, eh? How many yeah. people are there in China? One point seven. Yeah, that stat is from 2015. So I don't know if anything happened in those four years, but eight million people from the rural areas, which make up 60 percent, 60 percent of the population, only eight million of them are graduating from high school every year. Like. How can like they've neglected their most important asset, their people, and if you don't support you, you don't look after your people. Revolution is gonna come, because they're gonna as they start like growing, they're gonna know these and like the corporate governments is too t- is like too loose, not tight enough. It's yeah, too tight. It's, it's not. It's definitely not tight enough. But at the same time, like like yeah, I understand they don't have enough like twenty year olds that can be innovative and create new ideas, but. But now we can say that in hindsight, mm. that, yeah, they don't have enough young guys to cre- to make new inventions and, like, create new ideas. But when you go back, when they actually implemented the, the one-child rule, it had to be done. Absolutely. It had to be done. And they probably, I don't know if they knew or didn't know, but, but you, they definitely knew that if they implemented it, they weren't going to, they weren't going to get innovation. Like it, it just it's like it's like one plus one equals two. Yeah. Like they had yeah. to know, but it had to be done in order for for them to continue to keep on going, and that there won't be any because because overpopulation could cause famine. It'll you'll have people out on the streets. Like it's 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 a double edged sword, and I think they were just trying to like survive on the last thread, and I think right now they're on their last thread. So I'm I'm interested in what you guys would think would be like the first step to try and avoid this. I feel like they're aware that they might be in a recession. Why do you think they should start making changes? I think by making an agreement on the by coming to agreement with the U.S. on a. But yeah, that would definitely be. I think that will kind of stop the bleeding, but I think it's gonna come one way or another. But if they do make that agreement, then. They'll probably stop the bleeding for a couple more years. But at the same time, there's so much money just pump, getting pumped in to the economy by the government, and especially to these shadow banks. Like, who knows where the money is going? Mm. At the same time, there could be a lot of illegal stuff going on, exactly. which there probably is. Of course, that like it, the same thing was happening in the U.S. There was illegal shit. Going China's on. filled with corruption. It's yeah. deep rooted in their culture, sadly, for the moment. Like, so that's why it's gonna. The, the bubble's gonna burst eventually. It's How just bad? How bad do you think it's gonna burst? Like, nah, it's gonna, bur- it's gonna destroy. It might be like as bad as the 30s, like the Great Depression. Yeah, I was gonna say that. In China. Like, the bubble's always gonna burst. It's a question of when. But right now, it's like how big really, it really big. Mm-hmm. I mean, recession is coming. I don't know. If anyone says there isn't a recession coming, I'm not sure what you've been, what you've been watching. There's no way this economy can succeed on what it is. They've been put in, they've been like, you cannot satisfy 40 years of growth and not have a major repercussion because there are going to be mistakes made. Yeah. Like, and the kid, and the one child policy, they couldn't do anything about that. Like, that was had to. crazy. But yeah. the fact that now South Africa, Mexico, Thailand, and Turkey have more of their population graduating from high school. South Africa. Yeah, South Africa South. just came out of apartheid 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. They were in c- catastrophe. They still are in catastrophe. They find they finance minister like it's nothing, like that that country is gonna go into 
crisis in 10 years. That could be another podcast we could even do because that country is going to fall. The best-selling book in South Africa a couple of years ago was How Long Until South Africa Is Over. The best-selling book in the country. Like, it's... And China is still doing worse than them in many areas of education. Yeah. There's this this golden era for Chinese startups is over. The runway's gone. Like, you don't want to have to have a startup in China. And that's where your innovation comes from. Like, big, the problem with these big companies... They have all these ideas, but they're afraid to execute. Small companies have the, have the balls to execute and put that innovation through there. That's why, yeah, that's they why they're disruptive. In. They go all in, these small companies. They, yeah, that's they the only way. But these companies, it's, it's also like you see it in all these big companies in America where they, where they fail. Like most of these, like even Microsoft had the idea of an iPhone before it. Or uh, Palm, uh, what's called Palm, had an idea of an iPhone before, before Apple did. But they were just afraid to put it into motion because they didn't think people would like it. Apple comes along with it, changes the whole game. Nokia yeah. is afraid. Motorola, BlackBerry, yeah, yeah. like it's the thing. Like and because it's state controlled, that's where the biggest problem is. Because they everything they get is from the state usually in most instances. It's very close-minded. Yeah, exactly. You can't embrace economic forces. Yeah. Like they want to, as they said, they want to be a technology giant, but they don't. They haven't got. They haven't put the money into the technology. Like where's their technology innovation coming from? That's like. The trade secrets, the American exactly. companies that are coming in. Exactly, they need it, but no one's going to come to them like that. Yeah. And the only way you got to open up to get more, like that's how you get like the knowledge transfer. I honestly just don't think. Is there a way China could avoid it? What would be or small gains they could make to avoid it? Besides the trade war, I mean, we discussed the zero percent tariffs on both sides, which would really boost the economy and opening the opening the country a bit more. But how, how can China bear? Allow that even. The thing is, like, that when you can't, when you want to improve a country's economy, you go, you think of like short or long run, aggregate demand and supply. You think about how you can find ways to make more money, bring more in, and you start thinking of policies besides fiscal and monetary. But you don't want to start it imposing just un unruly policies like forcing everyone to graduate. Well, not forcing everyone to graduate, but I feel like there's going to be a very thin line between being, like, morally wrong and being disciplined. And China needs to find ways, other than the trade war, to, to benefit, like, trying to implement people to graduate so then you can solve this innovation problem. Or, you know, other ways. But it's like, how? what can you, can you do without... Being, because that one child policy as well is also quite, it was very touchy, especially like when, when I was in school watching it and you hear about it, it's like, oh, that's great. Then you, you watch certain videos, like literally babies being left on the streets mm. and things. And loads of people had issues with that, of course. And it's like, do you really want like another like morally wrong policy being enforced again? It could really, if you if you don't approach it the right way, I feel like it could deter even more yeah. people from like. You you look at the circumstances now, and some people don't want to look at it. Before the economic reasons, you look at morals plays just as big as a part. You look at something like that, and it could just deter more people away from it. Yeah. So I think I'm not sure what policy like or where I would start. It's actually just you have to be very very. You have to think about it extensively before you really fuck the situation up. It's true. Do you have any... Well, yeah, if they're not morally... If they, if they don't consider the moral aspect of it, it could, it could, it could, actually, it could actually hurt their economy even more because 
sanctions can be placed, and, and then no one's going to talk to them. The, none of the big players are going to talk to them, so they really need to look over that fact, too. Mm. You say 8 billion people graduate from high school. Yeah, yeah. From, the rural areas, from the rural areas. Oh, okay. Uh, 60% of the... But that's like 60% of the whole... Mm-hmm. Like, South Africa's only got 50 million people, and yeah. they're getting, like, half of them are... Like, what's 8 million out of 1.2 billion? Yeah, exactly. What, what? Small, small, small. That's like, exactly. what? <laughs> I don't even know. I don't want to say like at least under one percent. Yeah, exactly. Like, but do you do you know why? Like why they are not? I think it's also like a cultural thing in the rural areas. Like it's not the rich areas in China. Mm-hmm. It's not Beijing, Shenzhen. Yeah, exactly. I know. I, I read that. Like, like they need to help their families out. They're the ones working on the farms. Yeah, I've heard like the guys like are literally for not forced, but like they are just like manufactured to mm-hmm. go out in the rural areas and just work. Yeah, like, that's their job. That's their doing. Exactly. I'm not sure about how the females like how they're. they're and they probably need to be like out working and like helping out being a mm-hmm. you know housewife or. Yeah, true. I mean, like yeah, male females. Yeah. Say, like, Split down the middle, fifty percent. That's already fifty percent of every rural, probably not going to thingy. But you would think uh, if you're in it, you'd want to finish it. I mean, like. But me, also, probably the whole farming industry comes from all these rural areas. So the families, in order to make ends meet, mm-hmm. they need their children to help exactly. them out. To you only have one job as well. Pump yeah. in the pump in that manufacturing business, mm-hmm. like all the farming business and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, is that, and that's what it, I mean. Like. Sometimes you feel like you have to take a step back, look at it, and think, maybe I should take the hit, maybe lose, like, well, it depends on how much it's accounted for, but, like, take a hit on the rural side and start putting people into schools, take the hit now, kind of like the whole amnesty thing, Mm. take the hits now, make cuts now, so you can better yourself for the future, Mm. but it's just depending on, like, how... The thing is, like, families aren't going to send their kids to... To the schools in the rural areas because mm. they know if they don't have their help, if they don't have their kids' help, then they won't be able to feed their kid. Mm-hmm. So, but, is that, and that's why I told you It's a double edged sword. Mm-hmm. It, it really is tough for them. So then, how, let's, let's look at the leverage problem. So, how do they deal with the leverage? Because remember, there's a 260% debt to GDP ratio right now. 260%. So, every person in China has got debt of 260% on them, technically. So how should they balance that first? Because that's going to lead to increased inflation and increased interest and so forth. So how do they do this? Let's look look at the long-term view. How do you slow that down? How do you help bankers and people make better investment decisions? Where do we start on there? It's a tough one, right? When you you say that, I think about the UK economy and, like, there's always an uproar on, on things of people what you should vote for, which is why people don't talk politics that much and you should mm. just let people have their opinions. It's like, because we're, we're trying to improve our economy. Exactly. And Conservative came in and they said that we need to stop borrowing because we're just going to make our future debt worse mm. and our economy worse. So we amnesty, we cut everything as much as we can. And so it's like, what, what really, we, we don't know what's working as such right now. And I don't know if we will know for a decade or so and it's the same for China it's like what what really is the fair option you don't know and you know you see like votes on, on parliament even things like Brexit and it's not very it's maybe back in the day it was quite one-sided but I think for personal reasons 
like when people vote conservative, it's more for their self being and not for on a wider scale. So, yeah, it's. I think it also goes back to to domestic innovation, mm. like how, how like if you want to increase your GDP, if you want to improve your GDP, like how can you do that if your your country isn't developing anything or yeah. like to improve. Uh, the the standard of living in your country your GDP is yeah. not gonna improve if it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. It's so much, it's all well and good doing short term things, but when you start doing long term things like better healthcare, better education, and things, that's when you start breaking bounds. So you're not maximizing how much you're earning. Well, you are, but then you you extend that so you have capacity to make more. But you can't find out. You have to find out better hospitals, better education, all those, which is borrowing. Mm. And it goes. It also goes back to education. Mm-hmm. Like GDP is not gonna improve if more people don't graduate. Yeah. Exactly. Manufacturing can only take you so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you, could, I mean, as limits like America, they had to transition at one point because that they were coming. The unions were coming too strong. The money that they needed was too much, and it has eventually just dies out. And this has been forty years in the making, eh? Which that's why I'm interested. In why it took so long for them to really try to fix it? Like it's. In they were riding their wave. They were riding their momentum. Exactly. But how do they justify that to the people? Like, how do they avoid a revolution? Because everyone thinks this has been, like, they don't have a choice. So they assume, Xi has to assume, has to act as if everything the, the country's done before has been perfect for the country. So how do they verify that? Like, he's going to, the pressure, this is like the same thing happened to the Soviet Union. This thing is what pressurized. The people thought, like... I think it's the government's... Well, I don't know, I've never been to China no, or or of Soviet Union when that was happening back in the, I wasn't even born yet, but no. from what I've learned, they the government just pumps knowledge, like just what they want, they just tell people what they want to hear. They don't tell them the exact situation. And a, a lot of governments do it, but there's more freedom of press back in like democratic countries like the UK and the US. Mm-hmm. So because there's no freedom of press, then they might be oppressed from any news or like, like especially like all the social media. They can't, they can't really hear the news. They don't really, they might not be informed of what really is no. going on. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why the like the Chinese people they're not as like yeah exactly like to find yeah exactly. I don't have many Chinese friends. Like I have a couple, but yeah. they're all here, so I don't know. How much do they know about the trade war? Like, just general, like general question. I don't know how much they see or what side they see. Yeah. Like, we don't get access to the Chinese journals or articles, so we don't know what exactly they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's a hard one. Like, they, we don't know exactly what they're saying about anything. Do they know how much the U.S. is lending? Do they know the U.S. has got a trade deficit of twenty-two billion? I think I don't think many people know in general just about. You'd be surprised how many people don't know about their economy, like their own country's economy, what's going on, let alone like another people or another country's economy. So it wouldn't surprise you if you go ask any any of your Chinese friends to search and search and be like, oh, so do you know about this? They're probably quite disconcerned, which mm. is concerning. Just off China for the moment, how many friends do you know that actually like, if we went to the average guy on the street, how would they know anything about America's trade deficit or what... If, remember what the facts I said about the uh, trade war at the start? How many of them would know, like, the tariffs, what, what tariffs are? No. Or what I, Chinese I, I, I was at this Brexit conference last week, and, like, I know it has nothing to do with China, but no, just yeah. on the, 
just on the on the on the fact of just like people knowing and being aware of like what's going on in their country and their own domestic economy but like the british people they don't even know what brexit is like what's gonna ha- what what's happening like like what are the rules of brexit like what are the implications like the, they don't know like they really don't know no one knows what a backstop is like if i tried if someone if i was what's what's the backstop for with ireland half the people would say that, um i guess it's just like a gate or like a, or like a border <laughs> yeah. like, honestly like yeah. it is this concern that we are uk is meant to be one of the knowledge-based economies in the world one of the strongest one and people don't know anything about it like this is the future like this is your generation of kids and people don't care like yeah. out and we're meant to be one of our universities meant to be one of the best in the uk or top 100 in the uk like people don't understand this stuff and isn't it concerning like just imagine this is us in a knowledge base think what china's going through as well now like what they don't know anything what if they don't know anything because we yeah. got to assume like slightly you got to be parallels because we're, we're all human yeah they must be imagine what they see like they probably don't know yeah, I think it'd be much more, uh, being a more honest country, I think would definitely benefit them mm. more. Like, no one really likes to hear the truth. No. But I think if everyone was more aware of current situations, they could, like, negotiate. But no government tells the truth. Like, no, no one in the world. I think it's more freedom of press. Mm. Like, the, that's the that's, press. That's why we need the press. Yeah. The press is so important to us. I think that's the real, like, in order to, like, really break the news out and like actually like let everyone know what's going on they need like freedom of press like the people i'm talking about the people and i'm talking about the government like the government's gonna try to hide it but in order for the people to know and to see where they're actually at and what they're actually going through they need the they need like some sort of like press like freedom of press freedom of speech just to to be able to be aware what's going on yeah we're talking about what like approach the chinese economy should take it just very much depends on preference, personal preference, mm-hmm. where you see, you know, one person's approach, government's approach is different to another's, so we won't know whether there's a right or wrong way to it happens, mm-hmm. so it just depends, personally I think that they should try it and take the risk to then get, um, make themselves more dynamic so that they, they find more ways than one to make this money and, and bring them out, keep, the gro- keep their growth stable, because you know, this innovation thing is definitely going to hit them. We're, we're in an age, like, where technology is so prominent. Everything is technology. Yeah. Mm. We're, we're talking like that all the time. You know, you can't, I can't even go, like, an hour without touching Google. Mm. And then, like, things have just advanced in the last 30 years. Think about what we're going to have in another 30 years. Yeah. Now, do you think if they do go into recession, somebody's going to bail them out, some country? Mm. The U.S. needs it. Yeah, they might have, to bail, like, they might have you, to bail them out. You can't compensate for 500 billion in losses. Yeah. That's a very good question, actually. Brilliant. How can you compensate yeah. for 500... Germany is going to be the most hit country out of anyone. Yeah. Like, compared to what they... Like, I don't know that they... Have you, the amount Germany trades with China and exports to China, their whole economy would be shook to the roots if they lost China. Like Germany, like that's a superpower. That's yeah, that's the Germany. European Union superpower. The German economy Germany. is also kind of shaky right now, though. Exactly. The whole like, thing with Deutsche Bank and I hope they do that merger. Yeah, they need that. They need that merger. They have power. They need that. They need to have that credibility again because these are these are unstable times for the world economy. The only economy that's really trustworthy at the moment, said well, thankfully, is the U.S. Let's be fair, yeah. and think who's in charge of it. Like, isn't that an indictment of the world? Well, that was a, the whole reason why he he, he ran for president. Because he wanted to improve the economy. He thought that 
Obama kind of destroyed the economy. Well, but everyone knows in the U.S. that when you vote for a Republican, you're voting in order to boost the economy. Mm. Like, everyone knows, like, it's been, like, historically documented that when a Republican rises to power, the economy boosts mm. the next day. So, uh, that was his main issue. That's why he did run for president. That's why a lot of people voted for him. So, yeah, people vote for Republicans in order to boost the economy. Mm. And the economy under the Obama administration, like, Obama t- took over, like, once the crash happened. Mm. Under a Republican. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Under a Republican. And so Obama like had to like really fix it and repair the whole economy, and I think he did a good job mm. repairing the economy. Mm. But at the, but at the same time, like he took away a lot from U.S. businesses, like domestic business, and that's why that's like that 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 was like Trump's whole ideology mm. over his whole campaign, and that's what attracted people to voting for him. Mm. So and when people vote for an for a Republican. Like, it's well-documented, historically, that the, the, the stock market rises, like, everything boosts. Like, Republicans, they're for business. Like, it, it's all about that. And, uh, and, and you can just tell from, like, like Trump, during Trump's reign under, as president, that that's what he's been focusing on. Mm. That and the wall, but yeah. <laughs> a different case. But, but. Do you know what I find so interesting? So he uses, like, he, the, thing, the great thing about democracy or the worst thing that you can blame your predecessor for everything. Like, anything that goes wrong, you can blame your predecessor for And that's what he's doing. And the thing is, like, if you look at, if you look at how it goes, like, Trump bases all his success on how the stock, stock market in America is. Yeah. If it wasn't going well, he'd choose something else. Like, it's, it's a very hypocritical system, which is why also the socialist side in China is actually kind of interesting, because there's no really, like, you can't blame it on your predecessor, because you guys are one party, which is kind of cool, but... The problem with Trump right now is he's taking away all those measures that are meant to safeguard America from getting into trouble again, which is what Bush did. Like, all those financial measures, people can invest more in riskier areas. Like, just think, the $600 billion, uh, collateral uh, debt market. Oh, uh, yeah. What's the... Not collateral is the wrong word, but... The subprime... Yeah, subprime debt market. Yeah. Like, that's $600 billion, and now it's only starting to be looked at and controlled. Like, that's out of hand. Like, the, all those risky... All those risky, like, bets... What are they going through then? Because they put because the banks sell those subprime me- uh, debts to investors because they get a bigger return. Yeah. But then what about bonds. they like it's literally like literally doing what the the housing bubble again, but you're doing a subprime one and this that's gonna blow up. My question for you, Neve, is why can't a president be like Bill Clinton? Because the economy grew under him, money you didn't you cut costs, you made money, and everyone everyone gained in that area. But also I think it's just different times. Hmm. Different different technological advances have happened. There are different powers now. Like it's not like back during the Bill Clinton era, Japan was a was number top. Two. Yeah, it was number, number two. two exactly. And now, arguably, it might not even be top five. Exactly. It's either number five or not even in top five. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. So I think that's enough. I think it's times have changed, and and also Japan, they've been a lot more secluded ever since that time. They're not as like yeah, not as involved as they used to be because they know that the yen isn't as strong anymore. Because they're going through economic problems, right? Because yeah. their economy doesn't grow, but they've been kind of they've been trying to set up for the future. Yeah. Because of their culture, they naturally how their culture works is how it makes sense what their economy's been doing. But they've been trying to get ready because I mean they had like they were so 
densely populated, like what they were producing was incredible. Mm-hmm. I think it's Sony and all that what they've done, but they've had to do that stuff to make sure that the economy is viable for the future. Like, because all these economies, something is going to happen. Like, economies can't go on forever because we go up, we go down. Exactly. It's just when we're going to go down so far. It's a cycle. Because at one point in the world, like, something is going to have to crack because capitalism is the best solution for the moment, it seems. But what if, if China can get through the socialist thing, if they can do that middle income trap and pause it, does that become the best way? Because look at the growth they have and so forth. If they're able to overcome that, that hurdle, then, then yeah, that would be the best way, but I don't see that happening. There's just too much happening that's, that they're not going to be able to get over it. Mm. But, is that, but is that because of how we've grown up? Do you think how you've grown up has allowed you? Because how about this? We've grown up knowing that thing or thinking or pro- propagated to think communism is a bad way to live. Or not the best solution in life. Like, capitalism is the way forward because you can make money, start your own business, survive. That can be the case, but but looking at what they're doing in their economy, not, I'm not even talking about the communist thing. Like, just what's going on right now. The whole thing with the trade war and the, the, the inflation rates and just keep on exporting, exporting, exporting. There's no innovation. No one's graduating high school. That's the main issue. I, I think, yeah, it's a communist. It's it could be a, a communist ideology, mm-hmm. but that's all. I think that's like a part of it. And maybe the communist ideology is what's fueling that mm-hmm. that those events. So maybe that is the issue. But I think that's the bigger, that bigger issue that's mm-hmm. gonna make that bubble pop pop mm-hmm. for them. And maybe it'll cause them to to steer away from communism mm-hmm. and go into capitalism. Mm-hmm. But only time will tell. Like. Is the U.S., are we heading for a global recession in the next five years? I mean, quantitative easing has been going on for how long now? 10 years, 11 years now? Yeah. Like, what happens when we increase interest rates? Do you think, like, because the Fed had to hike on it because well, they were afraid. They want, they want to deal because they do want to increase interest rates. They need to. Yeah. We can't afford to leave it at this rate because inflation is going to start going up. Yeah. So are we heading for a global recession? Like, or... No. Why not? It's not. It's not gonna happen. It can't. It can't happen anymore. It's not. It's just. I historically, like, like the world has been through so much, and I I, I have faith because I'm just uh, I, I just want to be optimistic, but it it just can't. Cause I feel like the leaders know that, like what what happened, and they don't want to go back to like the 30s and 40s and set everybody back. So they will. That that's why they're not officially in a trade war, the U.S. and China. No, they're not officially in it, but you know the press they want to call it a trade war. Yeah, but they're not. They don't, the U.S. and China they don't want to say that because then they know the the implications of that. Exactly. So I don't think it's gonna go into a global recession. Mm. It'll just be that like that middle ground, and hopefully they'll be able to come. But I don't think it'll be a a, a global recession because mm. there's just too many dominoes involved. If if let's say there is no deal and there is an official trade war, then that's when the, the dominoes will just all collapse and one by one it'll all fall down and that's when the recession will happen. But I don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking as well. Is like I think every everyone's too conscious of the fact that exactly like, this shit can go down. Yeah. Um, There's you know, too much at stake. Like the world interest rate is it, you you rise it, the world interest rate. It's just gonna it's gonna impact everyone negatively. Um, trying to trying to make back 
No, I think the people who are not in control, but like, you know, money flows in and out, it controls interest rates. And bigger economies have bigger effects than on interest rates than others. Um, so having that in mind and having like the, just their own well-being in mind, I don't think that they were allowed such a thing to happen. Hmm. But then more is what we're saying. No economy is actually fully self-driven. No market forces control yeah. the economy because no. I think the American economy, the American government controls the economy more or less. The yeah. European econ- the EU economy is controlled by the ECB. Like they control interest rates. Like so, technically, we are running a such thing because they determine it because they know they want to know what's best to some extent. But like, then, they, how can they like whatever the central bank gives out is what sets up the whole economy? Yeah. Yeah. So technically, we live in a so our economy is kind of well. Everybody's working together as a team. It's like a it's like a team aspect. Like, like when two thousand eight happened, then that's when and everything hit the U S. It also hit Europe, and then oh, yeah. the, the the Euro debt crisis, the Eurozone crisis, and Portugal fell. Now Italy's in the is in the toilet right now too. And Spain, Portugal, hitting exactly. There. So, so that's why I'm, I've been saying it's like a domino effect. But, I but the thing is with like China and the U.S. and I think there, it's just not gonna happen. One and two, there'll be other players that'll come into the game to try to like feed off this export crisis yeah. and all that is that good for the that's probably good for the world yeah though. like that's like the small countries like that we said beforehand they're they it's not they want it to happen but they they're seeing the opportunity mm-hmm. and they might just they, yeah they, they they might just jump on it exactly and and they'll also get in the game and those all and they'll develop just like uh was it taiwan taiwan yeah like exactly that, i honestly didn't know that honestly i didn't know that they made through the middle yeah. income uh, trap. Yeah, like, I think Taiwan. Yeah, Taiwan and Thailand is up there too. Yeah, Thailand's getting there. Exactly. Yeah, Thailand's getting there too. It's an emerging economy. Like a lot of, because people don't want to go into China now, so they're trying to find these other. Actually, my friend, he's um, he's like one of those guys that deals on Amazon. Yeah. So and sells on Amazon. Like he he like contacts this, this like random factory in Vietnam, and they make the product that he wants, really? and then they send him. Then they send him like samples, and but he can, he contacts multiple manufacturers like Vietnam, Laos, and I think he also dealt in Thailand. In Thailand, yeah. and he saw which factory was the best, and he I think he chose the one in Vietnam. So you see, like you're already seeing people are starting to get yeah. out of China, like random people, like my friend who's exactly. twenty three years old, just trying to make a quick buck, exactly. selling on Amazon. So, so yeah, like people are gonna get out of there, and that's why I don't think there'll be a global recession because. There'll just be added players. Like, there's always opportunity somewhere. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned about the interest rates as well, like, how they are controlled. But, like, interest rates are also, like, determined by other factors as well. Just simply as, like, money coming in and out of the country. You know, like, the whole Mundell Fleming model thing is that, mm. like, you have a country's interest rate, <laughs> and then you have, <laughs> you have the world interest rate. And... With money naturally coming into an economy and out of an economy, it transitions in different ways. So, like, yeah, it you can adjust interest rates and things, and it does affect exchange rates, but I think the whole mechanism behind it is that it always ends up balancing out. Mm. And people with, like, large economies, it's just... I, I don't see how, like, they're going to put their own lives at danger... Well, not lives, economy at danger mm. in the expense of everyone else's. Hmm. No, it's true. Neve, 
you, none of you guys are here, but Neve suddenly, as soon as Tyrell said about the model, <laughs> Neve was very much against it. So would you like to explain I why you don't like the that mund- model? I hate the Mundo Fleming model, just because cause one of my professors, he's like, the way he says it, it's really funny. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what, professor from back home? What? No, here. The Irish guy. <laughs> you know him? Oh, she's, um, don't. don't yeah don't say it. <laughs> yeah don't say it. <laughs> yeah the way he says it whatever you already said Mundel Fleming mode <laughs> and like it's just so annoying and but it was just so complicated and like drawing the graphs and I it, just hated that it is very complicated yeah. but like it made sense yeah it that's makes why sense. I didn't think it it will happen because like it just the world interest rates always seem to like come back. Or exchange rates always seem to come back to like a standard level, mm. just because like the whole the how it's explained, like the mechanisms behind it. Yeah. It just always does. It's just annoying as the word is. Mm. I, I I'm actually glad that someone clicked on that as well because I hate. I didn't know how it was spelled or said. I didn't know what the word was <laughs> until he wrote it down. I was like, oh, Mundell. Yeah, it's two guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought it was one really weird word. Mundell Fleming. Living. Oh, no, that's fine. To be fair, I don't even know what the model going model was. To be fair, that's not really mine. It's just the way the exchange rates, right? Well, it, yeah, it's to do with like the goods market and yeah. the money market, um, and then what it is is that it's, it's very, very. It, it ends up falling back to the original level pretty yeah. much, unless there is a monetary policy change like an increase in the money supply mm, right yeah, yeah yeah because it's it like semester, i can't remember <laughs> it depends on the type of economy as well um i'm trying to really well if it's like a fixed up. exchange rate or a yeah. more flexible exchange rate and yeah if it's like a small if it's a closed open or a closed economy small open oh economy. yeah so like the u.s would be considered a large open economy yeah, exactly yeah, and then emerging economies like let's say uh like thailand Taiwan, all those places, they would be considered emerging economies. I mean, small open economies. Yeah. yeah. And Brazil would be. I think Brazil can be or can or can be arguably a small open economy. But the thing is, like, you can't really classify, like, put these countries in a box. What type of economy they are? These emerging yeah. economies. But the U.S., the U.K., these are large open economies. That's like the whole like thing. And then closed economies would be like countries that don't export, import with any other country. So it's like North Korea. Yeah. Like, it's almost non-existent. And even North Korea, I think they're about to open their doors. Yeah, like, Iran. Exactly, yeah, Iran. And uh, what was it? Um, Kim Jong-un, he, he just took a question from a, from an American reporter the other day. Really? Yeah, like, literally two days ago when uh, Trump and, uh, and, and Kim Jong-un, like, met. Wow. Yeah, he, he like, literally right before he was going to leave, uh, the, the American reporter just shouted out, uh, are you, op- are you op- uh, optimistic about getting the... Uh, some sort of getting an agreement done. He's like, yes, I'm very optimistic in, in Korean what? or whatever they speak. I don't think they even speak Korean up there. I think, I think it's like a, I think it's a different, I think it's a it's dialect, yeah. North Korea, if it's like a North exactly, Korean yeah. dialect. No, it's like Cantonese or Mandarin. Yeah. So, but yeah, like, so they might even start opening their doors. Pretty crazy. Do you think it was because of the trade war that kind of China has put pressure on? I America think they're that? seeing the opportunity, mm-hmm. and I think also the U.S. is putting the pressure on China. It's like, look, we're Wait, we got we got we just modified the trade agreement with Korea. Yeah. We uh, like I think it got modified September twenty eighteen. Now we got North Korea to talk to us. Like, got Japan as well. We got everyone around you. Like if you get like, North Korea to talk to you, you get anyone to talk to you. Exactly, that's true. 
That's true. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. That's the second episode. If you have any uh, recommendations on what you'd like us to talk on next or any debates on the political business area, please be, uh, please don't be afraid to ask. And uh, we'll catch you all next time. Thanks for listening. We'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Time Gear Watches. A week ago, Time Gear Watches, a new smartwatch brand, was released. They're compatible with iPhone and Android and currently doing a pre-order sale, which is available for one more week. There are many different features on the watch, such as pedometer, heart rate monitor, sleep tracker, and much more. You can check them out on their website, www.timegearwatches.com, or check them out on Instagram at timegear.watches for more information and to keep up with their latest updates. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.